today, inshallah, we'll concentrate on uh, the aged person who is not able to perform Hajj. Now, there are many reasons, of course. Uh, I've said, that I've given you a reason about the quota system. There are many other reasons why an aged person uh, cannot perform Hajj. And when, an, when a person cannot perform Hajj, whether he's aged or not, because of physical infirmity or disability, then the Sharia allows that person to appoint a person to perform Hajj on his behalf. This can only be done where the infirmity or the disability is permanent. For example, a woman who can't find a mahram can't send somebody to go to Hajj for her. Why not? Because that position may change if she marries. So that would invalidate the Hajj of the agent, of the wakil. But an aged person can appoint a wakil if the disability that he suffers from is permanent. So the infirmity of an old person can either be madiyan or jasadiyan. Either you can't perform hajj because you don't have the money to perform hajj, you're not by the means to perform hajj, or you are physically disabled and you cannot perform hajj. Now what are the, why do we say that a person is still alive? The, the person is alive, the person has money but the person can't perform hajj. Such a person can appoint another person to perform hajj on his behalf. Right? Even if he's still alive, doesn't matter. And what is the dalil for this? What is the proof for this? The proof for this is found in the hadith by Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, reported by Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas says, Khan al-Fadl ibn Abbas, his brother al-Fadl, was once appointed, the Prophet appointed his brother Fadl as his deputy. People used to come to him and ask him questions. So one day, a woman came to Fadl, in the presence of the Nabi and the woman said to Fadl, to the Nabi Ya Rasulullah, إِنَّ فَارِيرَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ عِبَادِهِ فِي الْحَجِّ أَدْرَكَتْ أَبِي شَيْخًا كَبِيرًا She says that the farida of hajj, the obligation of hajj is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed it on every person. I have a father, but he's very old. He cannot sit on the animal. In other words, he's infirm, he cannot sit. I mean, people like that, not only the animal, people can't sit in the airplane or they can't sit anyway. So she says, her father can't sit without falling over. And she said to the Prophet ﷺ, can I perform hajj on behalf of my father? The Prophet ﷺ said, yes. وَذَلِكْ فِي حِجَّةِ الْوِدَعَ That was, why when the Prophet ﷺ was going to perform his first and last hajj. Wafi ruwaya, it's also reported by Imam Bukhari in another hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said to this lady, أَرَأَيْتَ لَوْ كَانَ عَلَىٰ أَبِيكَ دَيْنٌ أَكُنْتَ قَاضِيَ Nabi ﷺ said to her, O oh lady, if your father had a debt, would you pay his debt? And she said, yes. فَدَيْنُ اللَّهِ أَحَقُّ أَنْ يُقْضَى Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to her, so the debt your father owes to Allah is a debt that is worthier of paying than any other debts. Because it's a debt to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your father is, and also the hadith points to the fact 
that the father was capable financially to perform Hajj, but physically was not able to go. So we understand then that this man was physically not able to go, but financially he had the money. Now, the ulama divide agency or wikala into three categories. Agency means appointing an agent. And as I've said to you before, there's a difference between wakil and wali. Wakil is an agent. So you appoint the imam, your wakil, to marry your daughter to so-and-so. So their wakil means an agent, agency. And Muslims use this term wrongly because they say, ekazi wakil, ekazi wakil. It's wrong use of the word. Because agent is somebody appointed by somebody else. If your father didn't appoint you wakil over a certain issue, and wikala can only be an appointment on a particular issue. You can't say, well, I'm the elder son, so I'm the wakil of everybody. That's nonsense. That's not part of the deed. We must learn to use these terms properly. When it comes to marriage, for example, I've already said that you appoint the imam as your agent just to perform the nikah. As you would appoint anybody else. You can appoint your brother, your imam, a stranger to perform anything on your behalf and that person will become your wakil. For example, I can give you my zakah and I say, you give the zakah to somebody. Or I give you sadaqah and I say, give the sadaqah to somebody. So I've made you my wakil, my agent. The other term that we use is wali. Now wali is not an agent, wali is a guardian. So if you have children, girl children, female children, and you are the father of those children, then you would be the wali of your girls in terms of marriage. What does it mean? In other words, the back of marriage stops with you. You say yes or you say no. Or you decide who will marry. Or, and you have the right to perform the marriage of your girl children even without their consent. Of course, you need their consent later on. That is the rights of a wali, al-mujbir. Meaning a wali which has been appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So fathers are wali. So the wali would give his agency to the imam, and the imam becomes the wakil of the wali. Okay? So remember, wakala is something, or wakilship, or agency, is for a specific purpose only. There is no such thing as I am the wakil of my sister, or my brother, or my whoever it may be, for everything. No. If you want to be the wakil of somebody, that person should have appointed you as wakil. There's no such thing as, <coughs> even in South African law, as assuming agency. You can't assume that you suddenly become the wakil. People walk around saying, ekasi wakil. Meaningless, means nothing. If your father didn't appoint, for example, in the will, even if you're the elder son and you are not the executive of the world, you're not the wakil. You, know, you haven't been appointed. The person who's written, whose name is written in there, he is your father's wakil, or your mother's wakil, or your brother's wakil. So wikala is not something which you inherit. Wikala is something which you are given by another person. Okay, it's very important. 
But wilaya, guardianship is something which you get by virtue of the fact that that child is born from you. You are the father of the child. So you are, you are the wali of the child. But that is a discussion all on its own. So what we're dealing with here today is we're dealing with wikala. We're dealing with agency. And we said that there are three circumstances under which a person can appoint an agent for him to, to perform hajj on his behalf during his lifetime. During his life. We know about Badal Hajj, which is after the person has died. But this, this is wikala during the lifetime of the person. Of course, the first is that the aged person is able to perform Hajj or has the means to perform Hajj. He has the money to perform Hajj, but he's not capable of performing Hajj physically. What about him? What does the ulama say about him? So he's got money, but he can't go. So what is his duty? What should he do? The ulama say that it is his duty to give his money and appoint an agent to perform hajj on his behalf. So he's got the money. He has to appoint somebody to go for hajj on his behalf. Number two. Where a person is, hasn't got the finance, but is able to go for Hajj. What about him? So he's got no money, but he's able to go for Hajj. He's physically strong enough to perform the Hajj. For him it is mustahab, it is permissible, advisable, strongly encouraged to accept money from somebody who wants to give him money to perform Hajj. For example, your children want to give you money to perform Hajj, your brother wants to give you money, your friend wants to give you money, somebody says, Hajj, I'll give you the money to perform Hajj. That is allowed in Islam. And it is encouraged for you to accept the money and to perform Hajj with that money which somebody else has given to you. The third situation is that the person is incapable of performing Hajj because He's incapable physically and also he's incapable, he doesn't have money. No money, not able to go for Hajj. But there is somebody who comes to him and tells him, I will perform Hajj on your behalf. And normally this is children who do that. Or relatives, or even a stranger can do this. So somebody comes and says, I would like to perform Hajj on your behalf. You can't go for Hajj, you have got no money to perform Hajj. You are physically not able to perform Hajj, I will do it on your behalf. Without asking for money. He says, I'll do it as a, a ta'a, as a gift, as a good deed. You can do that. Go to a person and say, MashaAllah, brother, I would like to perform Hajj on your behalf. And what, what should be the reaction of that person? That person should accept the offer from that other person. Why? Because the other person is doing it purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Purely to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And why can you do it also on behalf of a stranger? Because the Prophet referred to Hajj as a debt. And debt of any person you can pay. Whether it's your father's debt, your brother's debt, the neighbor's debt, your friend's debt, you can pay the debt on behalf of anybody else. 
And in the history of Islam, we find many people who had done this, who had performed hajj, so many, so many hajj on behalf of their friends. They would this year do it for this one, and then for the next one, and then for the next one, because they love to go for hajj. They love to perform hajj. And there are lots of people who couldn't perform hajj, and they would do it on their behalf. The person who performs hajj on your behalf can be a male or a female. So if you're a male, you can appoint a lady to perform hajj on your behalf. If you're a lady, you can, perf- you can appoint a man to perform hajj on your behalf. So in Islam, there is no sexism and whatever they call it, discrimination between male and female. So your daughter can perform hajj on your behalf. Your sister can perform hajj on your behalf. If you, the, the, if you are the sister, then your brother can perform. Any other person can perform hajj on your behalf. Of course, the rule is, if you perform hajj on behalf of somebody who cannot perform hajj because the person is ill, and the doctors say that the person will not recover from that illness. But what happens if you perform hajj on behalf of that person, and the person recovers from the illness? And now the person can perform his own hajj. فَقَدْ بَرِئَتْ ذِمَّتُهُ وَلَا يُطَالَبِ الْحَجِّ بِنَفْسِهِ The ulama are quite clear. That in that case, the hajj is accepted and that person doesn't have to perform hajj. Of course, if the person wants to do it again, no problem. But the fardl hajj has been done. The obligation has been completed by the other person on your behalf. The other condition for a person to perform hajj on behalf of another person is that that person should have performed hajj first himself. So if you have not yet performed your own hajj, you cannot become a wakil for somebody to perform hajj. You have to have been on Arafah first yourself. And the next time you go, you can do it on behalf of somebody else. And this is also in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, narrated by Abu Dawood, where Nabi Sallallahu heard a man say, لَبَّيْكْ عَنْ shubruma." Oh Allah, I am present here on behalf of a person called Shubruma. So the Nabi Sallallahu asked him, who is Shubruma? He said, my brother. So the Prophet Sallallahu said, Have you performed Hajj on your own behalf? He said, no. Nabi Sallallahu said to him, so what you should do is, First perform hajj on behalf of yourself, and then next day you come, and you perform hajj on behalf of somebody else. By the way, you can't perform two hajjs at one time, obviously not. You can't perform hajj the same time for yourself and for somebody else. You can only perform hajj at one time. One hajj for yourself, and then again, every year you can perform a hajj on behalf of somebody else, or for yourself also. So that is the condition where a person is alive but unable to perform hajj because the person is not financially by the means or the person is not physically by the means. The second question we need to answer is, if a person dies, if an aged person dies, because we're talking about, about the aged, we're talking about senior citizens. If a, if a, a, a senior citizen dies and an old person dies and he did not perform hajj, and also did not leave money to perform hajj. فَإِنَّهُ يُسْتَحَبْ أَنْ يَحُجَّ وَلِيُّ عَنْهُ Then it is 
recommended for the person for example who's in charge of his affairs or who has put in charge of his affairs to perform Hajj on his behalf I repeat that so the old person didn't perform Hajj then the nearest next of kin can perform Hajj on behalf of that person maybe your mother, maybe your father from your own money obviously because your father or mother didn't leave money behind the second very important point is a stranger can also perform Hajj on behalf of that person so somebody dies it's my friend not my mother, not my father it's my friend, it's my neighbor my uncle, maybe my cousin it is allowed for me to perform Hajj on behalf of that person even though that person may not have asked me in his lifetime even if that person never spoke about Hajj in his lifetime I can do it as a good deed to perform Hajj on behalf of that person and the ulama say that it is wajib if a person dies and leaves money behind that you should take money out from his inher- from, from the money that is left behind and set it aside for Hajj even if that person didn't give any direction or indication or instruction for Hajj to be performed on his behalf immediately when the person dies you should take some money out put it to one side and that will be for a, a third party an agent to perform Hajj on behalf of that particular person the big question of course is if the agent performs Hajj on behalf of the principal does the agent also get reward or not it's a big question for example I perform Hajj on behalf of my brother I go from here to Makkah go to Arafah, make Tawaf, go to Mina Muzdalifah, go visit the grave of the Nabi Salam. What about my reward? Do I get any reward? Or is all the reward only for the person on whose behalf I have gone for Hajj? Or Umrah? For, for to say that. Of course you can also perform Umrah on behalf of a living person who is not able to go because the person is physically incapable of going. You can also perform Umrah on behalf of a dead person who has died and maybe never performed Umrah in his lifetime. Or even did perform Umrah. And you want to perform another Umrah on behalf of that particular person alright let's come to the reward part it is not permissible first of all to perform Hajj on behalf of another person for the sake of money if somebody says you know my father died he's left this money I want you to perform Hajj on behalf of my father you shouldn't look at it as a an appointment to do something, a deed for you to get paid for. All right. You shouldn't take the money as being payment for you performing Hajj on behalf of that person. There is no room in that kind of wikala for making profit on somebody else. So somebody says, you know, my father is very sick very sickly, he hasn't performed hajj, I want you to perform hajj on his behalf, you know, he has the money for the hajj, you're not supposed to be making profit. Alright, that's number one. 
The ulama say that it is best if you perform hajj on behalf of somebody else that you use your own money. So that the intention is not to gain money or to go on a trip, a free trip to Makkah. So that the intention is to do a good deed on behalf of a fellow Muslim. It is also permissible to ask for funds towards you going for hajj. But you should also make a contribution and say, well, I'm going for hajj on behalf of this person. He was a very rich person. And you know, normally it's 30,000 rand, but I'm going to take 50,000 rand. You know, I'm not going to go all the way to Makkah, you know, and stay in a three-star hotel. You know, because this man is a millionaire and he never performed hajj. I'm going to, you know. No. If that is the intention, we'll, you will hear what the result is of that intention. Ibn Taymiyyah says, a person who performs hajj on behalf of a dead person, person who's passed away, if your intention is to perform hajj on behalf of that dead person, or your intention is so that Allah subhanahu may accept the hajj of that person that you're making on behalf of him, then you will be rewarded. How much reward you will get? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. But if you take a fee, if you say, well, I'll go for hajj on behalf of this person, but I want you to give me 10,000 rand, and pay my ticket and my expenses. Then of course, لا خلاق لك في الآخرة. Then in the akhirah, there's no reward for you. At all. So it's very important that the objective of performing hajj on behalf of another person is to perform hajj, not to go on a free trip, or to make a profit out of that particular person. So the rule is that it is recommended to take money to perform hajj on behalf of somebody else. Not to go for hajj in order to get money. One say, well, uh, I'm going to go for hajj because I'm getting money because I'm going for hajj. No. You should take the money in order to perform the hajj. There is a difference. Al-farqu bayna man yakunu ad-deenu maqsoodahu wa dunya wasilata. There is a difference between where the deen is your objective, to perform the hajj is your objective. And the dunya, the money, is just a means to, observe, to reach that objective. And then there are those who use the dunya as, as the objective and use the deen as the means. They use the deen as the means, but they use the deen in order to gain the dunya. So if you perform hajj on behalf of a person, your objective should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to serve the deen, and to use the money in order to serve the deen. Unless you take money for doing something good. And the ulama give an example. They say if you take money to learn, or to teach, or to go for jihad, and the objective is to learn. 
and the objective is to teach or the objective is to go for jihad, mashallah, barakallah, feel that is very good. That's excellent. And as I said earlier, when you perform hajj on behalf of somebody else, it is not necessary that it be your family or your blood or anything like that. You can perform hajj on behalf of a total stranger without that stranger even knowing that you're performing hajj on his behalf. So you know somebody who's in a wheelchair. Or you know somebody who's very, very poor, cannot perform hajj. And you say, I'm going to perform hajj on that behalf of that person. Without telling that person anything. You go for hajj, you go to Makkah, mashallah, perform hajj. That is permissible. Because Nabi said, Innamal amalu bin niyat. That your intentions, your, your actions will be judged according to your intentions. The ulama, of course, there are two views on the ajr, on the reward, as I said to you. We'll come now to the reward. What is the reward of a person who goes for hajj on behalf of another person? The ulama will say his reward is everything excluding what will make the hajj perfect is for him. So if he makes dua at the Baytullah, that is for him. If he performs an Umrah, which is not nothing to do with the Hajj, while he's there, it is for him. Of course, they say that you make dua for the dead person while you're performing Hajj on his behalf, it's also very good. But there's another school of thought, another group of scholars who say, the Nabi Sallallahu said, Man Hajjah, falam yarfuth walam yafsuk, they say the Nabi said, a person who goes for Hajj and behaves himself well, doesn't use bad language, doesn't argue with the people, doesn't fight with anybody, he will return home from his sins as if his mother had just given birth to him. SubhanAllah, may Allah subhanahu grant us that kind of Hajj, inshallah. And the Nabi said, Man dalla ala khayrin falahu mithlu ajri fa'ili. A person who points another person to a good thing, to do a good thing, he will get the same reward as that person. So, what does this ahad, two ahadat mean? Two ahadith mean taken together. It means, Nabi said that if you perform hajj, it means that if you perform hajj even on behalf of someone else, you get exactly the same reward as that person gets, subhanAllah. So you get a hajj and he gets a hajj. And the tarjih of this aqwal, the preponderant view is this view. That if you go for hajj on behalf of someone else and your intention was not to make a profit, your intention was to please Allah and to make hajj on that person's behalf, you also will get the reward of a hajj, subhanAllah. So that should be the intention. Do not say, well, I'm, I'm here, I'm prepared to go for Hajj uh, because I know somebody left 50,000 rand for Hajj and I can do it maybe for 20. So, you know, I can come back and buy me a nice little car for the other 30. You can do that. But you will get no reward. You will get no reward. Only the other person will get the reward for the Hajj that you had performed. So intentions are very important, but the, the, the point, two points that you need to remember is that you can perform hajj on behalf of a living person who either has no money to perform hajj or who is incapable physically to perform hajj. Don't have to wait for the person to die to perform what you call a badal hajj, 
That's number one. And number two, a person, an, an aged person himself can appoint somebody to perform hajj on his behalf if he is incapable physically to perform hajj. Because you can't do this for any other ibadah except for hajj. You can't appoint somebody to perform salah for you in pain or fast on your behalf in pain. It only goes for the journey of hajj. Now let's look at some of the some of the fara'id of hajj. Some of the obligations of hajj. That a person who goes for hajj, but is not capable of performing some of the duties that has been imposed upon him. Or even any other person, maybe me and you, we go for hajj and we come there and we find that we're ill, or we're sick, or we, we break our leg or whatever, and we can't perform some of the important things. For example, we can't perform tawaf. So you're there and you have to make tawaful uh, ifada, which is farad of course as we know, and uh, you have to leave and you can't perform, perform it because you are ill, you're very ill, you're lying in bed, you're lying in hospital, and uh, can you, how do you make the, the tawaf? There is agreement amongst the scholars that you, the tawaf can be performed in a wheelchair, even if you 20 years old, doesn't matter. The thing is this disability, you can't perform it yourself, and the only means of doing it is to do it in a wheelchair. Is there a penalty to pay? No, there's no penalty to pay. Why not? Because the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa says Imam Shafi'i, the differences of opinion amongst the scholars, I'm giving you the preponderant view, meaning the most accepted view, is that both for the Sa'i, you can be pushed up and down seven times, and you can be pushed seven times around the Baytullah. Doesn't matter your age, depending on your capacity, your ability, whether you're able or not to do it. Of course, this mainly applies to old people, or older people. And there's no dumb to pay. Why not? No penalty to pay. Why not? Because the Nabi wasallam, when he went for his hajj, he performed the tawaf on camelback. And he performed the sa'i on camelback. He was on his camel. Made seven times tawaf and on the baytullah. And then he made the sa'i between Safa and Maru on camelback. And there must have been a reason for this. And he took his stick and he pointed to the Hajj al-Aswad when he passed the Hajj al-Aswad. Now the, the Sahaba say, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi didn't say, that of course we know that there was nothing wrong with the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He wasn't ill, he didn't break his leg, he wasn't... He wasn't crippled or anything like that. And the reason I think the ulama come to the conclusion that the reason he did this was because he had how many people with him? Do you think? How many people went for Hajj with the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? More than a hundred thousand. Is that a lot of people? Even today that's a lot of people. So why did he sit on the camel? So that everybody could see him. To follow him. Because remember, this was his first hajj and his last hajj. To see him and, and to hear what he was reciting. And to see what he was doing. And so that he could speak to them and inform them as to the hajj. Khudu anni, he said, Khudu anni manasikakum fa inni la adri la alli la alqaqum ba'da amin hadha. He said, 
please take the Hajj from me because I do not know whether I will be with you next year. That's exactly what happened. Next day he wasn't with him. So for them to see him. Of course, so the, the ulama come to the conclusion that it is permissible even for a healthy person uh, to be pushed around the Baytullah. Of course, you lose some reward, obviously, if you don't walk. And I wouldn't like to see a 20-year-old being pushed in a wheelchair around the Baytullah. Not to make sorry like that. It's for older people, obviously. But if you do do it like that, it is not a sin and you will not be punished and your hajj will be in order. Um. So that has to do with two of the faraid. Now, going further into the hajj, a little bit further into the hajj, we know of course that of the wajibat of hajj, also something we should learn, very important that we talk when we talk about obligations, we use two words. Wajibat and faraid. Faraid being the plural of fard, and wajibat being the plural of wajib. We are mainly shafi'i. So when we talk about fard and wajib, it's the same. So we say reading the fatiha and the salah is wajib, it's also fard. When we say something is fault, salatul dhuhr is fault. It's also wajib, same term for the same thing. We don't make a distinction in the Shafi Madhab between fault and wajib. Abu Hanifa makes a distinction between fault and wajib. He said, fault is that which is fault in terms of a clear command in the Quran or a clear command from the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Whereas wajib is one level less than fard. So Imam Abu Hanifa says, for example, he divides the obligations of hajj into faraid and wajibat. If you leave out a wajib, your hajj is still correct. But if you leave out a fard, your hajj is batil. You must repeat the hajj. And although Imam Shafi doesn't make a distinction between these two, in hajj he does. He follows the Hanafi mother. So in Hajj, the Shafis say that you leave out a wajib in the Hajj, your Hajj is still correct. But if you leave out a fault, your Hajj is fault. I'm just saying this. I know you won't remember it. Maybe inshallah, those of you who are younger will remember it. But those of you who are not, will not remember it. The Mabit at Muzdalifah is wajib, not fault. The wukuf on Arafah is fault. That we know. What does it mean? It means that you have to be on Arafah, even lahza, even for a moment, even flying over it, even sleeping there, doesn't matter. If somebody took you sleeping to Arafah and, you, and sleeping back to Makkah, no problem, you are a hajj. You might just be physically present on Arafah, that is the ultimate fault of hajj. Okay, so the old person has been on Arafah. The person now comes to Muzdalifah. And Muzdalifah is of the wajibat. 
not fault. And you will, you can't skip some. And the wajib, some say wajib, is just to walk through Muzdalifah. You just come from Anafah, you walk past Muzdalifah, fine, you have performed your wajib. Now today, Alhamdulillah, we don't have a problem with throwing the Jamarat anymore. But just as part of your education, Mina has two things you have to do. Mabit and throw the Jamarat. Correct? Mabit means you must sojourn. You must spend some time at Mina and you must throw the Jamarat. Now we're talking specifically about older people. But this is a general rule. The rule is that you should spend part of the night at Mina. Part of the night. And the majority preponderant view is that it should be part of the first part of the night and part of the latter half of the night. So let's assume that the night is divided into 10 hours. Then you should be there at the fifth hour and at the sixth hour. Okay? Even if that means 10 minutes, so if it's 5 to 12 and 5 past 12. Okay? That's the, what is required. Most of the scholars say that you have to be there until Fajr. But not of necessity. So an old person or an older person in fact can make Mabit at Mina, and if the person is too ill to be at Mina, the person can go to Makkah, and somebody can pelt the Jamarat on that person's behalf. This is for older people. And we know that the pelting of the Jamarat, we're not going to go into pelting in the morning, that's a big khilaf, we don't go to, the, to that khilaf, go to the things which the ulama agree upon. That the pelting of the Jamarat starts after Zawal, and carries on during the night. <clears throat> it doesn't stop at Maghrib. That's also the opinion of a lot of scholars. So if you're an older person and the zahma or the uh, crowd is too big after Salatul Zuhr, then you wait till after Maghrib or after Aishai or after after Aishai in the middle of the night. You can, give, you can do the stone the Jamarat. So the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi and why is this so? Why this leeway is given? Because the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had seen the hadith narrated by Bukhari, إِذَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَا اسْتَطَعْتُمْ وَإِذَا نَهِيتُكُمْ عَنْ شَيْءٍ فَدَعُوهُ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, If I command you to do something, then do it to the best of your ability. Do it to the best of your ability. Don't leave it. Do it to the best of your ability. And if I prohibit you from doing something, leave it completely. So don't say, well, he's prohibited us from doing it, we can do it halfway, maybe half. No, 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 no. Prohibition is total prohibition. But if he asks you to do something, do it to the best of your ability. It's very, very important. Don't leave it, do it to the best of your ability. So we take riba, for example, interest, for example. I know there are some scholars, for example, who say that you can pay your tax with riba. Paying your tax with riba. Using interest to pay your tax. Because I think they mean government tax. 
Now you live in a country, South Africa for example, you have an obligation to the state to pay taxes. On what basis does ulama say that you can use haram in order to pay an obligation? I have no idea where they come from. No idea where they... Where there is a similar case in Islam where you can use haram to do something which is an obligation for you. So that opinion for me is a batil opinion. Why? Because riba is such a great sin in Islam. So... For example, you have to buy a house. So you have to take a bond. There's nothing you can do about that. Otherwise, you may not have a house. So that is an exception. But everything else besides that, Nabi Sallallahu said, you are commanded not to do it. Then don't do it. Unless it is absolutely necessary. Unless it is absolutely necessary. So similarly, in the Hajj and the Umrah of an aged person. The aged person can do up to the point where they are capable physically to do that. The other point is that it is important for us to consider to perform Hajj, if we're able to do so, I know it's very difficult nowadays because of the quota system. But let's assume you've already been for Hajj. Let's assume you've already been for Hajj. Now we know we all, we are all, uh, when it comes to Hajj and Umrah and going to Makkah, we are very selfish. Not in a bad way, in a good way. I mean really now, all of us are the same. I like you and you are like me. Or maybe you're not like me, but I'm like you. We go there to get maximum benefit, isn't it? Maximum benefit. And we go there to get maximum benefit basically because we pay such a lot of money in the first place. There was a time when we paid very little money. So the ibadah was more important. There was a time I went for Hajj the first time in 1969. 1969, I remember a plane ticket return from here to Cairo was 365 rand. That's what I paid when I went to study there. 365 rand. When my when a child was born there, my daughter was born there, her ticket was ten percent. <clears throat> it was thirty-six Rand fifty or something. <coughs> so things have changed. So in those days, <clears throat> and you used to go to Makkah, you give the Sayyid one hundred pounds, which is two hundred Rand, that covers your whole stay in Makkah, including Arafah and everything else, including your food. <coughs> Subhanallah. May Allah give those those Sayyids, the Jannat will fill those inshallah. Not only that, the hoteliers, I call them at that time, very generous people. If you had come maybe just for Umrah, they would maybe let you stay free, give you food also. SubhanAllah, for free. Did you ever think there was a time like that in Makkah where you could stay for free and get food for free? Twice I went for Umrah like that. I got free food. Not because I was a sheikh, because I wasn't a sheikh, I was a young man. The man just said, stay here, and uh, you can stay here. No, no, no problem. And used to give me food every single day. So those were the days. So those were the days when people used to go for Hajj for the ibadah, not for the money, for the ibadah. Today we want to get maximum benefit. So what do we learn today? We learn today that if you know somebody, maybe it's a relative, 
close relative, or maybe it's not a close relative, maybe it's a friend. That now we know you can perform, if, you're, if you've already performed hajj on, on, on your behalf, to perform a hajj on behalf of that person sincerely, Allah will give you your hajj, and Allah will give him his hajj. Subhanallah. So now no more selfishness. No more I'm going to make hajj every, you know, whenever I can, every five years for myself. Now you can say, well, inshallah when I go next year, next time I'll go, I'll do it for X and for Y. And subhanallah, if you do it for a person who is alive and ill and sick and old or can't go without that person even knowing, imagine the reward by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine the reward by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine you come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and says, subhanallah my servant, subhanallah, you are such a beautiful servant. You did this on behalf of your brother. He didn't even know you did it for him, subhanallah. He stands here today, he's, I'm calling him hajj and he's, and he's maybe crying, or he's maybe, subhanallah, you call him hajj because of you. Because you did it for him. And, I, and now today, inshallah, I give you reward of a hajj and him. And maybe Allah will say, give you rewards of a hundred hajj and for him also one hundred. Because of your sincere intention for what you had done. Subhanallah. So that is the lesson we learned today. So may Allah subhanahu wa grant, inshallah, that we, 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 we do it, we do things with a niyyah to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we remove selfishness from our hearts uh, for everything. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.